0: Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneur Zalman of Liadi taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg We are
1: holding on the bottom of page 899 and he explained the verse in Deuteronomy that you should know and you should take the heart that Hashem is Elohim in the heavens above in the earth below and there's none beside him there's none else there's no one else and he explained that he didn't come to tell us that there's only one god and not two gods he's not even coming to tell us that there's only one power one force and there's no independent power there's no other power god is the only power but on a much deeper level what the verse is coming to teach us is That there's no other reality, there's no other entity but God, no other existence but God. God is the only existence, God is the only reality. Nothing else exists but God. Since this is counterintuitive, it doesn't make any sense superficially. How can you say there's no other existence but God when we feel that our existence is so entrenched and it feels so natural and it's so habitual just to take our existence for granted and take ourselves for granted, how can you say that not only that there is a God, not only that God is one, there's only one God, not only that there's no other force, independent force of power, but that ultimately there's no other reality but God. So I don't exist. And in order to understand this, the Torah says you should know, you should take it to heart, that Hashem is Elohim. Since, we are a creation from God. God creates us something from nothing. Something from nothing means that the something does not exist in its source and therefore it needs to be created, something new that's created from nothing. It's not a revelation. It's not that you're revealing something that exists in its source. Like an artist reveals a a form, a shape. The artisan who makes a vessel, he's not creating anything, he's just revealing a form and a shape. The vessel exists before the artist touched the vessel and the vessel exists independently after the artist walks away from the vessel. But creation is something from nothing, something that doesn't exist in its source. There are no potatoes in the source, in the, in the spiritual realm and surely not in the, in the divine energy to create. So it's a creation, something from nothing, something that doesn't exist in its source. Only God has the power to create something from nothing. And therefore, God must constantly create that something. Because the moment God ceases to create that something... The moment the divine energy ceases to force, to create, to bring into existence, the divine word, the divine energy ceases to bring everything into existence, the name, the Hebrew name, the divine name is derived from the Torah, ceases to create and to bring everything into existence, and the potatoes disappear as if it never existed. The whole world ceases to exist. Time, space, everything that exists. High levels of consciousness, angels, all the world's, As if it never existed. Because it's constantly being created through the hand, through the divine energy. And the divine energy is within. Therefore, since the divine energy is within the object that's being created, so the object, the created being, is within its source, within the divine energy. It's not only totally dependent on the source. It has no independent existence. Just like the light of the sun. The light of the sun is totally dependent on its source. Like electricity is totally dependent on the source. You can't disconnect the light from its source. If you can't see, if it's a cloudy day, you can't see the sun, you can't see the light either. Because the light is connected to its source. It's totally dependent on its source. It cannot be interrupted even for a split second. If there's an interruption between the source, the current, and the source, there is no current. The current ceases. If there's an interruption between the sun and the light, the light ceases. The light is not independent. The light derives, everything the light has, it derives from the sun. It's totally dependent on the sun. So not only is every created being like a light out of the sun that's totally dependent on the divine energy, the divine energy is its source, it has no other source uh, other than the divine energy, therefore it is totally and constantly and continuously dependent on its source. But even more so, it's like the light of the sun that's within the sun, the light of the sun that's outside of the sun, the light is is a dependent entity, but it's an entity, there's light that's outside of the sun. I have the sun and I have the light. I have this current, this, this energy that's flowing from the sun. But it's constantly connected to the sun. It's constantly connected to its source. It cannot be independent, disconnected for one moment. You look at this light, you see its source. But nevertheless, it's an entity. There's the sun, which is a bulk, a body. And then you have this flow of energy, this flow of electricity, this flow of light And heat which has a name, it's an, indip- it's, a de- it's an entity, a dependent entity, a totally dependent entity. But it's an entity nonetheless. But then you have the light within the sun. Because the sun, you can't give what you don't have. If the sun is able to, if to, if to give an outpouring, an outflow of light, surely the sun has within it light. But within the sun, all there is, is the sun. There is nothing else. Because the light... In the sun, the light doesn't add anything to the sun. All there is, is the source. Everything the light has is from the sun. To the sun, the light doesn't add anything. So therefore, really, all there is, is the sun itself. There really is nothing else. So the light is not even an entity, a dependent entity, but an entity nonetheless. Within the sun, the light simply doesn't exist. It's there, but it's as if it's not there. All all there is, is the sun. Because the light senses that really all... the Light doesn't add anything. Everything the light has is from the sun. It has nothing independent. And to the sun, the light is meaningless. Because the light doesn't add anything to the sun. So whatever the light has is from the sun, but to the sun, the light doesn't add a thing. It makes no difference to the sun if the light shines or the light doesn't shine. If there is a light, there is no light. The sun is not depleted it's giving off light and it doesn't add to the sun whether you do give off you don't give off light it makes no difference to the sun the light doesn't add anything to the sun so as far as the sun is concerned all there is is the sun the light is totally meaningless so the light that's within the sun it's as if it doesn't exist because it's nothing it's a non-entity it all there is is the sun all there is is the source there's nothing other but the source It's totally dependent on the source. It doesn't add anything to the source. It's within the source, and all there is is the source. It's not to have the source and light. The light doesn't add anything. It means nothing. So, the created entity is not only totally dependent on the divine energy, to create it, to bring it into existence, something from nothing, something that doesn't exist in the source. But the divine energy, the name, the Hebrew name is constantly within this cup of water bringing and creating this cup of water into existence from nothing. Forcing it into existence, creating it into existence with all its property and characteristics. So therefore the divine energy, the Hebrew name Mayim is within the water. The water is within its source. And therefore it's it's a non-entity. All that there is really is the divine. Because... It's as if it doesn't add anything to this. Yes. Before God created the cup of water, there was no water. And now there is water. The Water is not an illusion. There really is a cup of water here. You could drown in water. It's real. It's not an illusion. It's not that life is just one... It's like a movie and it's, a, it's just playing in our senses and that really nothing exists. It's not an illusion. God created... The Torah says God created water and He created the world... It's not an illusion. So there is a difference. Before God created the world, there was no world, and then God created the world, there is a world. There's physical, there's a water, there's a world, a whole universe. But since the whole essence of the water is nothing other than its divine energy, its divine source, and the divine source is within the water, and the water is within its source, some reality all that really exists is the divine ability to create something from nothing. So when you look at water, what should you really see? If we weren't wearing blinders, if our bodies weren't so coarse and material, if we were able to see the truth, we would see we would see the, the miracle of creation. We would see what is the water. The water is an expression of God's infinite ability to create something from nothing, to create something that has no source, something that didn't exist. So you wouldn't even notice the water. What you would notice is this divine energy, this process, this process of creation, this creative process that's ongoing every moment, this infinite, God's infinite ability to transform his infinite self into a cup of water. So really, all there is is really the infinite. All there is is really the divine, the infinite, the incomprehensible, the godly. I wouldn't even see the cup of water. But why do we see the cup of water? Why do we notice the cup of water? Because we don't sense the source. We don't sense, we don't feel like electricity, like light from the sun that's flowing from the sun that's connected to the source. We don't sense the source. We sense that we're outside of the source. There's the source, like you have the sun, and then you have the light that's outside of the sun. You have the sun, you have God, and then you have us two entities the sun and the light. You have us and you have God. Yes, we have a relationship with God. We may even be dependent on God. But we don't feel that we're within God. We sense ourselves. How is this possible? And he explained that that is because God creates the world not only with His kindness, with the name Hashem, which is God's self-expression, God's infinite ability to create something from nothing. But we are created through God's ability to hide Himself, to conceal Himself, through God's speech, through God's letters, through God's words, which contain the light. And it's like a prism that actually differentiates the light and it alters the effect of the light. Suddenly you see different colors, yellow light and red light, so it's the containers, the the vessels that are able to receive and therefore to limit and to differentiate this energy and therefore the effect of this energy is to create a world which is differentiated, a world which is finite, a world, world which is limited, and a world which is pluralistic and diverse. And therefore, we don't sense it's like the shield that covers up in the light, the, sh- the sun shield that covers up in the light, and therefore we don't see the light. If we were to see the light and sense the light, then we would just sense God. We wouldn't sense anything other than God. But because there is a shield and there is this concealment, because God also has the ability to hide and to conceal, the name Elohim, which has numerical value of nature, which is the divine ability to create a world that seems so natural, a world that seems so out of habit and out of instinct. Teva also comes to the word habit. It feels so habitual, it feels so, so natural. A world in which the divine energy is submerged, which is another meaning of the word teva, which is tubu, like submerged underwater, covered up, concealed. And therefore we don't sense the divine energy, so we sense our independence. And therefore, we have a world in which we sense there's God and there's us. But this concealment is only for us, not for God. Because from God's perspective, all there is is God. Because the creative energy, the ability to create comes from God. And the ability to hide is also from God. It's like your right hand and your left hand. It's you. They're both self-expressions. They're expressing you. You can't hide on yourself. You can't cover up on yourself. You can't put your hand over your head. It's not considered a cover. You can't cover up on yourself. So since the divine energy comes from God. The creative energy comes from God. And the concealment is God. And they're both God. And they're both one. Ultimately rooted in, in the absolute unity of God. As he explained that, as we see that even the intent of the hiding is not to hide or to conceal. The purpose of the hiding is To reveal to enable an existence. So you see the absolute unity within God, how the, how the right and the left, it's not two separate entities. It's one and they work together and it's really just one, ultimately two expressions of the one ultimate, absolute, unified reality. So therefore from God's point of view, there is no concealment. Or like the teacher who has to teach by way of parable and the student can only grasp the parable because the the moral of the story is too profound for him to grasp. Yet to the teacher, there is no parable. There is no concealment. He sees within the parable. He sees the whole story. He sees through the parable. Because why? Because the whole idea comes from the teacher. The parable comes from the teacher. It all comes from within him. So for him, there's no concealment. The parable cannot conceal on the light, which is too intense for the student. It's mine to grasp. It... it its effect is that the student, it's a good concealment for the student. So the student is able to grasp the parable because the light, the moral, is too intense for the student. But for the teacher, there is no, there, there is no concealment because everything comes from the teacher. The ability to reveal comes from the teacher. It's the teacher's concept. And the parable in which to explain and to illustrate this concept in a, in a level that the student can grasp also comes from the teacher. So everything comes from the teacher. The revelation, the hiding, you can't hide on yourself. So for the teacher, everything is clear as day. There is no concealment. Like the physical light, when the light goes through the prism, it only affects the effect of the light to the receiver, that now the receiver sees a yellow light and a red light and a blue light, but the light itself is unaffected, the light remains pure. So from the light's point of view, there is no difference. Especially since God is the light and God is the prism. So it's all God. And it's all one and the same. So for God, there is no concealment. Even within the world, after creation, it's as if it was before creation. That all there is, is really the divine energy. And therefore, the world is, is absorbed within the source, and therefore all that exists is really the source. There really is nothing else. So from God's point of view, all that, all that exists is God. And that's what the verse says, that you should take the heart, Ki Hashem Hu God is the revelation, and God is the concealment. God is the name Hashem, God is the attribute of kindness, and God is the attribute of strength. It's all God. It's one and the same. These two opposites are really one and the same. They're unified in the unity of God. And therefore, now you can understand, now you can grasp the idea that the truth is, there is no other reality from God. Because the only reason the world exists is because we don't sense the source. If we were to sense the source, the world would cease to exist. Just like if the source, if the divine energy would cease would st- for one moment, for one split second, would cease to create, we would cease to exist. If the divine energy were revealed, we would also cease to exist. Because all we, we would sense is the source, that we're nothing other than the source. So God had to conceal and hide. But that concealment is only effective for us from our point of view, from God's point of view. Even after the concealment, there is no concealment. So from God's perspective, everything is really nothing other than the divine energy. Everything is absorbed within the source and therefore all that exists is really God.
0: is God As we
1: said earlier, even the tzaddik, there is a concealment. The tzaddik is an entity. The tzaddik is not God. As, as God told Moshe, the ultimate tzaddik, the greatest prophet that ever lived, that you can't see my face. There is a veil. There is a ceiling. You can't pass that ceiling because if you pass that ceiling you would cease to be human. And there is a differentiation between God and even Moshe. Moshe is a human being. So the greatest tzaddik is still a human being. There is a differentiation.
0: But
1: It's totally different. Moshe sees with illuminated eyes. He sees he's a godly person. He sees things clearly, crystal clear. But nevertheless, he's still finite and limited, and there is a limit, and there is a distinction between us and God. And that's why even Moshe has to get close to God, and Moshe has to do Torah and mitzvot, because there is a concealment. As he said earlier, that these two attributes are... The divine attributes, which defy human comprehension. The name Hashem, the ability to create something from nothing, totally defies human comprehension. Because the reason it defies human comprehension is because since the created object is totally dependent on its source, like light that's totally dependent on its source, on the sun, the nature of light is, the nature and quality of light is, when something is totally dependent on its source, it is a reflection of its source. Because the light has nothing on its own. Everything the light has is its source, from the sun. Therefore, the light is not only not an independent entity. Everything the light has is a reflection of the sun. The sun is a, is a ball of fire. Hydrogen explosions... And therefore the light also is a reflection of that reality. So the light reveals, reveals and tells us something about the sun. You look at the light, you have an idea what the sun is about. It, there's energy, there's, there, there, there's light. So I know what the source is about. The soul has the ability to enliven, and therefore therefore, when the soul touches. The body, the body comes alive. So I have an idea from, from, its, from its, the flow of the soul, I have an idea what the soul is all about. That the soul is about life. It's alive, it's soul, and whatever it touches comes to life. So it, it reveals. The light has to reveal its source. Yet when God created the universe, although the universe is totally and entirely dependent on God, Yet,
2: we're not God.
1: We're We're not even a reflection of God. Our substance is not God. And we're not even a reflection of God. We are a created entity, something that didn't exist in its source. The light reveals the source. The light existed within the source. And the light reveals the source. Yet, we, the created universe, something from nothing the something although it's totally and entirely dependent on its source on that nothing what we call nothing on that divine energy but it's not a reflection of the source we're not God on the contrary we are something new something that didn't exist a, a glass of water something physical time, space angels none of this existed within the source what about the soul connection? the part of us that's, that's the soul but the soul is also an entity. A spiritual entity. But the soul is also a created entity. Soul created. The soul is a created entity. The difference, the only exception is the pintalayid, the divine essence that a Jew has. That's the core of the Jewish soul. That's a piece of God. That's not created. That's purely divine. That's something that precedes creation. The Jewish people precede creation transcend creation, precede creation. But a soul is a created entity, an angel is a created entity, and none of it existed within the source. So it's totally dependent on its source, and yet it doesn't reflect the source. That's why it's something that's incomprehensible. Only God has the ability to create something from nothing, something that doesn't exist in the source, doesn't reflect the source. Not only doesn't reflect the source, it doesn't exist in the source. But yet, nevertheless, since it constantly needs the divine energy to constantly create it, because otherwise it would cease to exist, as if it never existed, unless the divine energy constantly brought and created this cup of water and this table and everything, the entire universe, and all the concepts of the universe, unless God was constantly creating. And there was a unique name, a Hebrew name, a unique energy for everything that exists. Every entity has its own name, its own divine energy to create it. Therefore, the truth is, the truth is that it is totally dependent on its source. And not only is it totally dependent on the source on the divine energy, it is nothing other than the source. It's within the source. And really, the real story is, what you should really see and pay attention and notice, unless we were wearing, if we weren't wearing blinders, we would see all we would see is a divine energy. That we are just an expression of God's infinite ability to create something from nothing. In other words, not that this cup is an illusion. Yes, God created the cup of water. It's physical, it's real. But that, what's the story behind it? The story is not the cup of water. The story is God's astonishing ability, this, this mind boggling, incomprehensible ability to create something that doesn't exist in its source. Suddenly, out of nowhere, suddenly you have a cup of water. We're a, physical, a physical entity. And that's all you would notice. That the cup of water is nothing other than everything that exists. This peanut, this cup of water, you, I, everything that exists is nothing other than this miraculous, ast- astonishing expression of God's miraculous, this astonishing ability to create something from nothing. That's all you would notice, that's all you would see, you wouldn't see anything else. And the truth is, God sees that. That's all God sees. God sees Himself. What's the world? Himself. There's nothing else. The world is God's creative ability to to express himself and to create something from nothing, his kindness. And the world is God's ability to hide and to conceal, which creates our human perspective. So no matter which, which angle you approach it from, it's all God. God only sees himself, there's nothing else. So from God's point of view, from God's perspective, all there is is God. And that's why we say every morning in prayer, God was alone before He created the world. He's alone after He created the world. What changed? Nothing changed. Before He created the world, all there was is God. Even after He created the world. It's not an illusion. He created the world. But really, all there is is God. There's nothing else. And that's what the Torah means. No. Take the heart. Hashem is Elohim. Hashem is, is God. Elohim is God. It's all God. And therefore, there's nothing else. All there is is God. That's what we finished till last week. And now, the Altarebi is going to come and add a whole new depth to our understanding of the absolute unity of God.
3: That's why it's written that, that the, the creation that a man was created, the cellulary.
1: The image of God, because everything in the physical reflects the spiritual. But here he's going to explain something much, much uh, deeper than that. And now he's coming to the end of the verse. The verse says that God is God. Ein There is nothing but God. And now he's going to explain the depth of the meaning of those two words. There is nothing other than God. The bottom paragraph, the last paragraph, on page 899.
3: Therefore, even the earth and that which is below it are naught and utter nothingness in relation to the Holy One, blessed be He, and are not called by any name at all, not even by the name Ad else, which would indicate a subordinate status. status, As in the statement of our sages of blessed memory, Yehuda, the old Lykra, does a verse in the Torah require secondary substantiation from the customs of the land of Judah? We thus see that the term odd signifies secondary status.
1: Okay, the Talmud says in the beginning of Tractate Kedushin, If a man says to a woman, you will be betrothed to me, and the Talmud discusses different language that a person uses, does those those words mean you will be betrothed to me? And he gives her a penny if if they're married, with all the consequences of marriage. So the Talmud uses an expression. If he says, Is that an expression of marriage or not? And the Talmud brings a proof from the verse. We find in the verse, yes, that indeed um, we find the verse... That necharefes comes means marriage, means betrothed. and then the Talmud says that in the land of Judah, we know Israel is divided into three parts: Judah, Samaria, and and Galil. So in the land of Judah, in that portion of Israel, they call arusa someone who's betrothed. They call harufa. In the olden days, you know the marriage ceremony, which is the Jewish marriage ceremony, which is basically composed of two parts: the betrothal and actual moving in together, was actually a year apart. So in the land of Judah, they would call the first part, which is the betrothal process, which makes you legally married in the full sense of the word, regarding, you know, you're fully married, married uh, uh, man or woman. So in the land of Judah, they would use this expression to say that this woman is betrothed. So Talmud asks, Talmud says, once you brought me a verse, do you need to bring me Yehuda, uh, what the custom in Judah is, it's enough, there's a verse. Once you bring me a proof in the Torah that we find that this language, this expression, harufa means marriage, what do I need? What are you adding to me? You're not adding anything to me. What are you, you going to add me another proof? Once I have that proof, I don't need to hear anything else. So why are you telling me you bring me a verse to prove that this language, this word means marriage, betrothal? And then, as if to strengthen it, you say, well, we find also the custom in the land of Judah we we." find this expression, this terminology used for betrothal. I don't need any other support. The Torah is enough support for me. So he says, you want to ask in, the, in a question, Yehudah, you need, you need to bring to me from Judah, from the land of Judah, you need to bring an extra support to the, to the, a secondary support to the verse. The verse is strong enough. So you see that the word "oid" means, additional means, extra means, it's like redundant, it's, 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 it's secondary. So, what he means to say is, when the Torah says, Ein that there's nothing else but God, the Torah is trying to tell us that not only that there is no independent reality but to, to God, but that but the world is a secondary reality to God. He says it's not even like a secondary reality to God. And he explains This
3: too is the case with the body, which is subordinate to the soul and life force within it. For which reason it is referred to as
1: it. You have the the soul is primary within a person. What's primary and what's secondary? The body and the soul. What's primary and what's secondary? The soul. The soul is primary. Without the soul, what's the body? Nothing. Corpse. It's there. It's intact, but it's a corpse. The body is in t- totally secondary to the soul. So much so that the body is almost like a reflection of the soul. Since the body is totally dependent on the soul, it's not only the body is totally dependent on its soul for its life, But the body is so connected to the soul, its connection is so profound, as we discussed earlier, based on the first portion of the Tanya, chapter 23, that the body-soul connection is so intimate that it's more profound than the light of the sun outside the sun. Because the light of the sun outside the sun, although the light of the sun is totally dependent on the sun, it has no other reality but the sun. The moment it's disconnected from the sun, it ceases to exist. But nevertheless, you have the sun and you have the light that's outside the sun. It's in two separate places. The body in relationship to the soul, the body-mind connection, the body-soul connection is like the light of the sun that's within the sun that the light senses all there is is the the sun. The light is a non-entity. The light is there, but it's a non-entity. The sun doesn't even realize the light is there. It's a non-entity. All that's there is the sun. The body is so intimate, is so nullified to the soul, it's such an expression of the soul, that the body's entire identity becomes the soul. Not that the body, the soul is here, and the body is here, And the body is dependent on the soul. The body, all the body senses is the soul. It has zero ego. It has no ego. It has no sense of separate entity. Its entire identity is the identity of the soul. And they're so close that the body is almost a readout of the soul. If you're ill emotionally, it will show up in the body instantly. You're in a great mood. You can't even help it. You don't even notice it. Your face breaks out into a smile. Unself-conscious. You're in a l- lousy mood. It's written all over your face. You don't even pay attention. You don't even notice it. It's there. You can't hide it. The body is so in tune with the soul. 99% of the body happens unself-consciously. We have no clue what goes on in our body. We can go through our entire life. We have no clue how we digested the food that we ate for dinner tonight. We have no idea. Yet 99% of the body is self-regulated. happens unself-consciously. Every time we speak, we have no idea what goes into speech. You, people go through their entire lives and will never realize what happens when you speak. And yet it happens unselfconsciously, it just happens. Because the body is so in tune with the soul, the body is almost like a reflection of the soul. Almost as if all there is is the soul, there's nothing else. That's how tight and intimate the body is to the soul. So you would think that the relationship of the world to God is the same way. As Job said, from my flesh I know God. The best way to know God is from your own personal experience. How can you relate to God from your own personal experience? What's the closest experience that we experience is our body, our body-soul connection. So you would think that just like you understand and you can really relate to the idea of how the body is unselfconscious, a healthy person is light. They don't even sense your body, they don't even feel your body. If you feel your body, if you feel yourself, you're ill. A healthy person, he doesn't even feel his body. His body is just an expression. It's almost like a reflection of the soul, an expression of the soul. All that exists is the soul. There's nothing else. That's how tight and intimate the body is to the soul. So you would think, you would extrapolate that what's true in a microcosm is also true in a macrocosm. Like you said, from my flesh I know God. Just like there's a body and there's a soul, so to the physical world that God created or the entire universe that God created. So the universe is the body. And God is the soul to that body. Which is such a logical, sensible way of relating to God. Which is why belief in God is not even a question of faith. It's so logical, it's so sensible. Just like the body is alive. Have you seen your soul? Do you know what a soul looks like? Can you touch your soul? You can't perceive your soul with any of the five senses. Yet your soul is more real to you than anything that you can touch or taste or smell or experience through the five senses. Because that's your reality, you know that. When you wake up in the morning, you have to touch yourself to know that you're there. You have to sing in the shower to know to hear yourself to know that you're there. You have to look yourself in the mirror to know that you're there. You know that you're there. Who is that I? Yet you're more certain of your own reality than anything in the world you can, you, you can experience through the five senses. So you know from your own personal experience that the soul is primary. The body is just a container. What gives the body meaning? What gives the body purpose? What's the content of the body? The body itself is a corpse. What's the content of the body? What gives the body meaning? Only the soul. The inner energy, the soul. There's nothing else. So you would think that from the microcosm, I can extrapolate to the macrocosm, now I have a clear, crystal clear, deep, profound understanding of the unity between God and the world that the world in relationship to God is the same way. God is the soul of the world. As the Talmud says, just like, Bar-chi nafshi es Hashem, I praise to God. Psalm 104. Bar-chi nafshi es Hashem, my soul praises God because as the Talmud says, in the Tracted Brachet, from my own soul, I know God. Just like the relationship of the body to the soul, so too the relationship of the world to Hashem, in Psalm 104, and to show you how nullified the world is to God. Just like the body is completely, totally nullified to God, so to the world is totally nullified to its source. God is the source, God is the life, and therefore the body, the truth is the body is not a separate entity. Not only is it not a separate entity, the entire entity of the body, the entire content of the body, and meaning of the body, and purpose of the body, is nothing other than the soul, which is the divine energy. So it com- comes along the verse and says, no. Ein oid. It's not a good comparison. The world in relationship to God is not like the body in relationship to its soul, which is totally nullified. To the body, all that exists is the soul. Like the light of the sun within the sun. It comes to the verse and says it's much deeper than that. It's not a good comparison. And he'll explain why. Now he starts the parentheses, and this is the meaning of the verse. And this is the meaning of the verse. I will praise Abbaiah with my life, i.e., with my soul.
3: I will sing to Elohai, my Lord, i.e., with my body. We thus see that the body is termed out inasmuch as it is subservient to the soul. The reason the term Elohai is used in
1: connection with the body's song is this. So, so he, says, he says two separate, he divides it. He says, I'm going to sing praise God with my, with my life, and then I'm going to sing to God with my body. Why does he differentiate it? Because it's two separate things. One, you're praising God with your soul, and there's another thing to sing to God with, through your body. with your body. For the life, i.e. the soul, is
3: derived from the name Havaya, and the oid, which is the body, its subordinate, from the name Elohim. We thus see that the body is nullified in relation to the soul, to the extent of oid, i.e. it is subordinate to it. It is not, however, however, nullified out of existence in relation to the soul. Okay.
1: So he says the body is like a container, a vessel, a vehicle to the soul. So the entire content of the vessel is the soul. Just like there's a light and there's a vessel. So the body is a vessel, is a container for the soul. What fills the the body? What gives the body its content, its meaning? The soul fills the entire body. That the body is secondary to the soul. What is primary? The soul. The body is secondary. So too with God. God is primary. The divine is primary. As we learned in the introduction. When a person reaches that level, we realize that the divine energy, just like the soul, is the energy of the body. And a person is seeking in life, you're seeking passion, you're seeking energy, because it's the energy, the life, the excitement that gives meaning to the body. Otherwise, the material experience is empty and void and meaningless. Isn't that interesting? So too, it's entirely secondary to the body. So too, God is the primary energy and force and life force and meaning and content of the universe and therefore a godly person wants to live a meaningful life instead of leading a life that has no content. A materialistic life where you define yourself by materialism, money, fame, power which is empty and meaningless and and void, there's nothing there. You want to lead a life that's meaningful where the body is secondary and what's primary? The soul. The energy of the world. What's the soul and the energy of this world? God. God the divine energy and therefore that becomes just like the container is filled with its content god becomes the content the container the body is, the material is nothing other than the container it's a means to an end it's a secondary reality it's a means to an end what is the end what is primary what is the goal what is the motivation what is the excitement the life the vitality comes purely from godliness from within and that's a source to develop a very powerful relationship with God. Like you said, I, we're created in the image of God. God is the, is the light and we are the vessel. God is the soul and we are the body. Just like the relationship between the body and the soul, the mind, the body-soul connection is a powerful connection. It's almost like a parallel universe. We're created in the image of God. Everything that's here below is a parallel to some spiritual reality. Because everything that's in the soul is reflected in the body. Everything that's in the body is a symptom of the soul. So it's a parallel universe. The body is almost a projection of the soul. Whatever happens in the soul, immediately translates into body. If you're healthy, your soul is healthy, your body is healthy. Radiates with vibrancy with health. If your soul is not healthy, it immediately affects your body. It leaves a negative impression on your body. Physical. The physical and the spiritual are so interlinked. They're so interconnected. It's so parallel that you don't know where one begins and the other ends. If the body is not healthy, it affects the soul. The two are interlinked and interconnected. It's like a parallel universe. But what is primary? The soul is primary. And the same is true with the material and the spiritual. The primary is the spiritual, is the divine And we have to fill our life. That's our content. That's our meaning. To lead a meaningful life. So the body exists. It's a secondary existence. You have the soul and you have the body. It's totally nullified. It's a reflection of the soul. The soul is primary. It's totally secondary. Merely a symptom and expression of the soul but it is secondary. So you have primary and you have secondary. So you would think that God in relationship to the world is the same. God is primary because the world is totally, entirely dependent on God. It has no other reality but from God. God is the content of the world. There is no other content from God. But nevertheless, the world is secondary. There is God and there is a world that's entirely a reflection of God its entire content and meaning is God but it's something it's an entity that expresses God and that's what the verse comes to tell us no not a good comparison
0: the reason for this where the soul does not bring the body into existence ex nihilo it only provides it with life the body is therefore called odd, uh, i.e. secondary to the soul, inasmuch as it is the soul that provides the body with life. But as to the Holy One, blessed be He, who brings everything into existence, ex nihilo, everything is absolutely nullified in relation to Him, just as the light of the sun is absolutely nullified in the sun. This is why it was necessary for the Torah to warn Know this day and take it unto your heart that in the heavens above and upon the earth below there is none other, so that it should not enter your mind that the heavens and all their hosts and the earth and all it contains are separate entities in themselves, i.e. distinct and apart from their creator and the provider of their life, and that the Holy One, blessed be He, fills the whole world in the same way as the soul is invested in the body. And then he causes the flow of the vegetative force into the earth, this being the life force revealed within the earth, and the power of motion into the celestial spheres, and moves them and directs them according to his will, just as the soul moves the body and directs it according to its will. The body is a totally separate and different entity from the soul, the soul is nevertheless able to direct it according to its will, because it provides it with life. One might mistakenly believe that God animates and conducts the world in a similar manner. The conceiver of the world is being separate from Him, just as the body is separate from the soul. Anticipating this, the verse therefore points out that the relation between the soul and the body is entirely unlike the relation between God and His creation. And this is the patient of created beings.
2: In truth, however, the analogy of the soul and body bears no similarity whatsoever to the object of comparison, godliness and the world, since the soul and the body are actually separate from each other and the sources. The source of the body and its essence comes into being not from the soul, but from the seed of one's father and mother. And even afterwards, after its creation, its growth, is not from the soul alone, but through the mother's eating and drinking throughout the nine
1: months of gestation. So, we find that the body and the soul are two separate entities. We see how God created man, the very first human being. First he formed his body from clay, and then and then he breathed into his nostrils, he breathed the soul into the nostril. So too, the Talmud says it, are three partners within creation... The father and the sperm provide certain parts of the body and the skin and the hair come from the mother and then God provides the soul. Um, So we see that the physical physical part of the body um, is a separate entity. And then you have the soul that comes, enters into the body and the soul animates the body but the body is a separate entity. And even after the creation and the conceiving of the body, it's not just the soul that causes the body to grow, but also external factors, eating, and that nourish and nurture and help the body's growth. So the body is a separate entity. Continue and subsequently. And
2: subsequently, through his own eating and eating, the body is thus a truly separate entity from the soul, inasmuch as like the soul only provides the blood. This is so, however. Place of for their very being and essence was brought into existence from not an absolute nothingness. Before creation, there was no space at all, as it were, for the existence of created beings, by virtue of the divine eye, which is ultimately master of creation, solely through the Word of God and the breath of His mouth. And now too, the Word of God still stands forever in all created things and flows into them continuously at every instant are constantly creating them anew from nothing. Just as for example, the coming into existence of the light from the sun within the very globe of the sun. It has already been explained that the light of the sun as it is found within the sun globe does not possess true existence, for it is completely nullified within the sun. Only after it leaves the sun globe can it be said to possess independent existence. Created beings likewise are always wholly nullified in relation to their source, since they are constantly found within it, uh, i.e. within the divine life force that creates them. Hence, in reality, they, created beings, are completely nullified, without, nullified out of existence in relation to the word of God and the breath of his mouth, which are unified with his essence
1: of He's differentiating between the body-soul connection, in which the body seems to be totally nullified, egoless. It's not an entity. Its entire entity, its entire identity is none other than the soul. This is the deepest type of unity imaginable. It's totally one with the soul, inseparable from the soul. But there is... It is an entity. It's a secondary entity, but it is an entity. Because the body... The body reflects the soul. The body is a vessel for the soul. It matches the soul. It's a parallel reality to the soul. And that's why the soul will only animate a human body. Right? If you match the soul with a monkey, it's not going to have the same effect. It's the human body. That's a vessel. That's a vehicle. That's customized. It's a reflection of the soul and the human mind and the human brain. If you take the, the soul and put it to with an animal, you're not going to have the same effect. The body is tailored and customized and is a reflection of the soul. So the body, in a certain sense, has a certain value, even in relationship to the soul. yes, the body is totally nullified to the soul. It's secondary to the soul. It's a non-entity in comparison to the Its entire identity is not, nothing other than the soul. But it takes two. It's a body. In that sense, the body has, a, has a, a value. Because it's the body that's close to the soul. It's a reflection of the soul. So it's a secondary reality. Because without the soul, it's a corpse. And the body senses that. And therefore, the body is nothing else, totally nullified to the soul. The soul does whatever, the, whatever it wants in the body. The moment you wish to lift your hand, you automatically lift your hand unself consciously. It's as if almost all there is is the soul. There's no ego, there's no separation. The body is totally unified with the soul, it becomes an expression a reflection of the soul.
3: Why is there such conflict?
1: Well, Why because, do we, do because we don't sense the divine soul. We sense the life force. You look, you, Life is one search for life. You want life. You won't self-destruct. You'll do anything to live. You'll do anything to... So you sense your life. You sense your energy. You don't sense that it's a divine energy. If you were to sense that it's a divine energy, then you're right. Then, you, then we couldn't do anything um, that's ungodly. And the goal is that we should become like a body to God. By following the mitzvot, we become like a body to God. We become a reflection of God, an extension of the reflection of God. We become, we're in the image of God. Why do we do evil? Well, that's our choice, because we don't feel that instinctively. We don't feel the divine. You feel your life force, your energy, but you don't feel that it's a divine energy. You feel that you're alive, but you don't feel it's a divine energy. You look at the life, you see life. You don't see divine life. You don't realize it's divine. It's life. Vitality, it's energy, it's passion, but you don't realize that it's divine. That's our choice. You have to work on it. You have to think. You have to realize. You have to become aware. You have to study. That's what education is. You have to open your eyes, remove the veil, Open your eyes, think about it, meditate, reflect, and realize that just like there's a microcosm, there's a body and there's a soul, so too in the macrocosm, God is the soul, the world is the body. And just like the body is totally secondary to the soul and the body is totally an extension, an expression, uh, a reflection of the soul, a projection of the soul, so too we should also become a projection. Our whole content should be filled, our, our whole meaning, what gives us meaning, what should give our life meaning is not the material external money, power, fame, what gives our life meaning is exclusively the divine, our relationship with God, our expression of God. But he says the body-soul analogy is an inadequate analogy because the body, yes, the body is, there is a relationship between the body and the soul. The soul is affected by the body and the body is close to the soul in the sense that the body is is, has some relationship to the soul, is parallel to the soul. That's why it's a human body that's a vessel. It's a vessel. It could receive the energy of the soul and it could be animated through the soul. It could become alive through the soul and one with the soul. But it takes a human body. So the human body is, 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 is an entity. It's a secondary entity entirely dependent on its source for life. And therefore, it totally reflects the soul. And it's like the light of the sun that's within the sun. It's within the source. It becomes totally one within the source. Inseparable. But nevertheless, it's an entity. It's there. It's something. Just like the light is within the sun. There is light. Yes. All the light Senses is the sun. So all the body senses is the, the soul. But nevertheless, it's an entity. But relationship to God, we're saying that nothing exists but God.
3: Is the soul part of God?
1: It's not only that the soul is totally, that anything, everything that exists is dependent, totally dependent on God but that it has no value there's no relationship there's no connection the body-soul there's a body-soul connection the body is connected the body has a value it has some relationship to the soul but from God's point of view there is no connection there's no relationship It's a non-entity. It's not even a secondary entity. There's nothing. All there is, is God Himself. Why is that? He says, because unlike the body, the body is a separate entity, and the soul animates the body, and the body is a vessel for the soul. But creation, creation is entirely dependent on the divine energy, God's Word. And God's Word is one with the source. The world is created through God's speech. But God's speech is is one within God. It's a non-entity within God. So the source of the world, which is the divine energy, is nothing in comparison to its source, to God. So the distance between God and the whole universe, there's an unbridgeable chasm, there's an un, the distance is so vast, because from God's point of view, it's a non-entity. Because even the divine source, the divine energy that creates the world, even that's a non-entity. So the world, there's no relationship. There's no connection. There's no relationship. It's so far that it's really a non-entity. It's really nothing. You can't say that the body is a non-entity in relationship to the soul. It's a secondary entity. An entity that's totally unified with the soul. Totally inseparable from the soul totally connected to the soul so in tune with the soul egoless it's an expression of the soul and the but you can't say it's as if it doesn't exist you can't say it has no value it's custom it's a vessel for the soul it's a vehicle for the soul it's a container for the soul yes the soul is primary but it's secondary it's something And the reason is because there really is a secondary. When the person passes away, God forbid, the body is there. The body doesn't disappear. Yes, the body is an expression of the soul. It's it's a reflection of the soul. But the body doesn't disappear. When the soul leaves the body, it's not like you disappear. And the body started forming before the soul really enters the body. And even when you are alive, the body continues to grow, not only from your soul, but also by eating and drinking. So it's a separate entity. It's an entity that's totally nullified with its source. It's totally one with its source. Totally recognizes that it's secondary and that the soul is is primary. And its entire content, its entire meaning, its entire content is filled by the soul. The soul is what gives the body content. And therefore the body is totally one and inseparable with the soul. An expre- almost becomes an expression, a reflection of the soul. Inseparable, you don't know where the soul ends and the body begins and vice versa. And each one affects the other. And it's a parallel world, a parallel universe. Perfectly matched. Everything in the body is reflected in the soul. Everything in the soul registers in the body. Inseparable. That's why today you find genes for everything. They even discuss it now a God gene a gene for joy, a gene for sadness. But that's just the proof that the body is so in tune with the soul that everything that exists in the spiritual sadness has a physical, biological expression because you can't have one without the other. It's a totally, we create in the image of God, the physical, everything in the material world, everything in the lower world is a reflection of a higher world and then a higher world and a higher world until, until you reach the divine because it's a total unity inseparable, unified. So it's an entity. It's a secondary entity. But it's an entity. It's an entity that reflects. But here he's trying to say that the world does not reflect God. The world is so distant from God that existence is nothing to God. It's as if it doesn't exist. It has no value. It means nothing. It's not even like a drop of the ocean in comparison to the ocean which is totally insignificant. It's, not, it's even less than that. It's nothing. It's not a vessel, a reflection, an expression. It's so distant. All that exists is God. And God's ability to create, there's nothing else. Why? Because even the source of creation, The divine words, the Hebrew words, the Hebrew language, the divine energy. God's ability to speak and God's speaking and bringing the world into existence. In comparison to God, the source doesn't exist. Because the words are within the source, the words don't exist within the source. They're there, the words come from God, everything comes from God, but it doesn't exist. And the human analogy is, like we learned in the first part of the Tanya, it's like when a person speaks. Where do the words come from? They come from within you. But while they were within you, before you started speaking, the words were there. The words don't come from thin air. Where were all these words that that you—they were within you? But you didn't even feel its existence. It's as if it didn't exist. Because it doesn't add anything. Words mean nothing. Words don't add anything to the soul. The content of the words comes from you. The word, which is the vessel, comes from you. So it doesn't add anything. It means nothing. It's there. It's not there. That's why you can speak endless amounts of words. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't add anything. So the source of creation is a non-entity. The very source, not only is creation a non-entity, the source of creation is a non-entity. So creation is not a body to the soul. God is the soul of the world. God gives meaning to the world. God is the content of the world. There's no relationship. There's no connection. It's, as, it's, it's, it, it's nothing. It's non entity. It's as if it didn't exist. It's not an illusion. Of course, God created it. But it's as if it didn't exist. It means nothing. It doesn't add anything. It's nothing. All that exists, all that is, really is God. And God's infinite ability to create something from nothing, that, that's, all, that's all there is. So the world from God's point of view, the world is such a non-entity, is so nothing, that really all that exists is God, and that's what the verse is teaching us, that you should know that God is creating and everything is God, and the name Hashem and the name Alakim, but to the ex- but on a deeper level, Ein Oid, the world is not even a secondary existence, like the body in relationship to the soul. Which is a second a secondary entity, which is totally nullified to the soul, inseparable from the soul, a parallel universe to the soul, a reflection of the soul, a readout of the soul. So you would think that the world also, the world is totally nullified before God, the world is totally unified with God, the world its entire meaning of the world is 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 its content and its meaning is that it's its godly purpose. And that everything in the material world is nothing more than the means to an end. The end is the divine, the godly. Which gives the world some value. It's a secondary entity to God. It's an expression, a reflection of God. An expression of God. A reflection of God. We're created in the image of God. So it's something. Yes, it's totally dependent on God. Our very existence, our very being is totally dependent on God. But what did God create? God created an entity that's a body to God. That's a reflection of God. It's a secondary entity to God, but it's secondary to God. So it's something, a value. So there's God, and God brought into existence a secondary entity. An entity that has some value. That's a reflection of God, that's a body to God, that's a vehicle to God, that's a vessel to God. That has meaning and has purpose and has, it's an entity. So the verse says, no, there's no comparison. Don't compare to the body and the soul. It's not like the body and the soul. The body is secondary to the soul. The world, in relationship to God is not even like a body to God. The world doesn't exist. From God's point of view, all that there is, is God. God is alone before he created the world and God is alone even after he created the world. Yes, he created it. It's not that it's an illusion. But it's, it's all, all, all that there is is God. And therefore, when a Jew knows this and grasps this and takes it to heart and meditates on it and reflects on it day in, day out, then a Jew will not be impressed or affected by the world. When the world is an entity, even if it's a secondary entity, you have to take the world into consideration. The world is an entity, a precious entity, and if the world conflicts with the Torah, you have to reckon with it. You can't just dismiss it. But when a Jew recognizes the truth, That the unity of God is so absolute that nothing exists but God, not even as a secondary entity, not even as a body to God, as a body to the soul. The world is such a non-entity that it's not even a body, a vehicle, a vessel, a reflection, a parallel to God. Then how can anything in the world get in your way? How can anything in the world be an obstacle to doing the right thing? If the Torah tells you that this is the right thing to do, there can't be anything in the world that can oppose it. Unless you empower it. If you take the world and give it a, make it into an entity that it isn't, and you give it a, a value that it doesn't have, and you're impressed by the world, and you're defined by the world, then you reckon with the world and then, you ha- then it's an obstacle. But if you re- see the world from God's point of view, If you're able to see the world through the Torah's eyes, from God's perspective, from the truth, from God's perspective, the truth is the world is a a non-entity. So that empowers a Jew. Not to be impressed. Not to be impressed by, by, by the seemingly insurmountable obstacles. There's a huge world out there, a whole universe you have to reckon with. How can one tiny Jew stand up to the whole world? tiny little Israel, tiny little Jew, stand up to the President of the United States, stand up to the whole world and tell them the truth. But that's only if you're defined by the world. If you take the world as an entity, even a secondary entity, but it's an entity you have to reckon with. It's something. You can't just dismiss the world. So the, but the Torah, however, gives us God's point of view, God's perspective from the inside looking, from the inside out. We are looking at the world from the outside, looking in. So from our perspective, the world is an entity. Either an independent entity. On a higher level, a dependent entity. On a higher level, it's a secondary entity. It's a deeply pious, a deeply religious, but it's still a secondary entity. The world is a body and God is a soul. Yes, the body is totally nullified to the soul. The body is inseparable from the soul. The body is a reflection of the soul. And it's totally egoless and united in one but it's, it's a parallel universe. It's something. It's a match to the soul. The body is a match to the soul. The world is a match to God. It's a precious entity. There's wisdom and there's order and there's rules and there's laws which you have to reckon with. But the gift of the Torah is that God has opened up to us, revealed to us. his perspective, his point of view, looking at reality from the inside looking out. From the inside looking out. The Torah says, Ein There is nothing. All that exists is God. Which explains where the Jew got the strength. Every Jew that's alive today is because our parents for thousands of years couldn't care less what the world thinks. 99.9% of the world was opposed to the Jewish way of life, opposed to the Jewish people for 30, close to 4,000 years, beginning with the very first Jew, Abraham. Abraham was called Avram or Ivry because the world was on one side and the whole world was on the other side. He single-handedly stood up to the whole world. Where did the Jew get this stubbornness, this stiff-neckedness to really oppose the whole world? We really don't care what anyone thinks. All the philosophers are wrong. All the seventy nations of the world are wrong. The angels are wrong. And we know the truth. We have such little regard for public opinion. And yet, our parents went through fire and water. Nothing could deter them. And we stubbornly continue and follow the ways of the Torah. Where do we get the strength from? This is the secret. This is the key. Because a Jew knows the truth. A Jew is connected, a Jew, this is Jewish faith. This is the faith that we inherited. This is what makes our whole soul, our soul holy. A Jew inherits a holy soul, a divine soul, a divine spark that knows the truth. That ain't, Oy. there is nothing other than God. All there is, is God. The world is not even a second, not only isn't the world an independent existence, not only isn't the world a dependent existence, the world is not even a secondary existence. It's not even like a body to the soul. It's not that a Jew has a meaningful life. A Jew has a life that's filled with content. And what is our content? The divine content. But we are a vessel, a vehicle, a body, a reflection, created in God's image. It's much more profound than that. It's much deeper than that. There is nothing other than God. All that that is, is God. There's nothing else. The world is is not even a secondary existence. There is no other existence. Therefore, we don't care. The world, there's no obstacle. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. It doesn't matter if there's an obstacle that appears to be an obstacle. It's impossible to keep Shabbos. Or it's impossible to live by the Torah. It's impossible. It's humanly impossible. There's no such thing. Because nothing else exists. This empowers the Jew. And that's why the Jew was always a revolutionary throughout history because the Jew was able to totally step outside the frame of reference all other entities all other creatures including spiritual creatures are defined by the rules and the laws and defined by the world because we're within the framework of the world you can't escape the framework of the world you can't jump above yourself you can't it's impossible you're inherently defined and limited you can't think outside the box you can't envision a sixth sense. It's impossible because you were limited. It's like the blind person trying to envision what the sense of sight is. He has no idea. But a Jew is able to totally step outside of the box, to challenge the very assumption. Because the Jew is rooted in the essence of God. So when the Talmud says that just like the body, the soul fills the body, so to God fills the world, we're created in the image of God. That is only one level. That is the way God fills the world in comparison to the divine energy that creates the world. Every entity has a divine name, has a Hebrew name, which is the, the divine energy that's unique, that creates this unique individual object. So in comparison to that source, yes, it's like a body to the soul the body reflects the soul, so too the physical entity matches and reflects the Hebrew letters, the Hebrew name of that unique entity. And every one of us has a Hebrew name, a special name, which matches our unique soul. There never was a soul like that, etc. But when you go to the source, when you go to the essence of God, it simply doesn't exist. All that exists is God. There's a total unity. There's an absolute unity. All that exists is God. And everything that exists is nothing other than the divine energy. So the physical object is contained within the divine energy and the divine energy is totally nullified within its source, within God. So therefore, it's a non-entity. So if our source is a non-entity, surely we are a non-entity. So in that sense, we are closer to God than we, we can possibly imagine. Because... We are within the essence of God. And all that exists is God. So it's not that God is so distant from us. On the contrary, it shows us how close we are to God. That we are one with the essence of God. The essence of God is right here with us. And therefore, we're not impressed, we're not defined, we're not limited in any way. And that explains the superhuman heroism and sacrifice, self-sacrifice, that the Jew has displayed for thousands of years. The devotion, the dedication, the superhuman, courageous devotion that defies all logic because we're so close to God. The essence of God that's totally undefined where all there is is God. And the Jew senses that. With our sixth sense that we were given, which is our faith. That's the holy soul that we inherit from our mothers or those who convert halachically. That's what happens when they go into the mikvah, that that soul, that divine soul, enters into their being. They join the family, the spiritual family of Abraham and the Jewish people. And Sarah. Top of page 905.
3: Thus, created beings are completely nullified to the word of God and the breath of his mouth as well as to God himself, just as the light of the sun is nullified in the sun. Why then are created beings unaware of this, considering themselves instead as possessing independent and true existence? The Alta Rebbe answers this by saying. Yet these are his restraining powers to hide and conceal through the attribute of Gabura and Simpsum the life force that flows into them, so that, the hev- so that heaven and earth and all their hosts should appear as if they were independently existing entities. The effect of Simpsum is to conceal from created beings the source of existence continuously found within them. This is why they are able to think of themselves as possess- possessing independent existence. However, the Simpsom and Concealment is only for the lower world. But in relation to the Holy One, blessed be He, everything before Him is considered as actually naught, like the light of the sun within the sun. <coughs> the attribute of Gabor does not heaven forbid, conceal for Him. For it is not an independent entity. Rather, Havaya is Elohim. The concealment resulting from the divine name Elohim and the attribute of Gevura are one with the divine name of Havaya, the attribute of Chesed and Revelation. Thus, from the divine perspective, there is no concealment, for an entity cannot conceal its own self. Where I have the problem is, on one hand it's, Concealed, on the other hand, the Rabbit tells us it's not concealed. We know. We know what it is.
1: For us, there's a concealment. It's like the teacher who's teaching and he has to give a parable. So the parable is a concealment for the student. From the student's perspective, it really is a concealment. The parable contains you know, the the concept, but which is beyond the mind of the student, which the student cannot grasp, but he does grasp the parable. And by grasping the parable... Over time, he can work his way back and, and get the moral of the story. But from the teacher's perspective, there is no concealment. He sees in every aspect of the parable, he sees the original concept. Why? Because the idea comes from the teacher. And the parable also comes from the teacher. So there's no concealment. It's all from the teacher. It really is, so the teacher sees it clearly. And um, it's like the light. The physical analogy brought of the light. The light that goes through the prism. The light has no color when the light shines through a red glass or a yellow glass, pane glass, what are you going to see at the other end? of it? You're going to see a yellow light, you're going to see a red light. That doesn't mean the light has changed, the light has become yellow. Light transcends colors. But the effect of the light is genuine. You look at the other side, you'll see a yellow light and a red light. And so we are, on the other side of the, we are on the other side of the veil. So the effect of the timsom, the effect of the concealment of the prism is that we do indeed receive a limited light. We do indeed receive um, a differentiated light and we do receive uh, many entities and we, we, we receive a whole created world. But from the light point of view, from God's point of view, the light the light hasn't been affected. The light remains the same. And since God is not only the light, God is the concealment. It's like the the, the turtle, the shell of the turtle... So the grasshopper the clothes is part of the turtle it's part of the grasshopper you can so it's all the, the, the self-expression the light comes from God the concealment comes from God so can God conceal himself hide himself so from God's point of view there is no concealment in other words from God's point of view all that exists is it's, it's all himself it's his ability to create something from nothing it's his ability to conceal so it's really all there is is God there is nothing else but God. God effectively created the world in which, from our point of view, there is a concealment. We don't sense God, so not only don't we feel like a dependent being, we don't even feel we like a. We don't even we feel we don't. Not only don't we feel like a non-entity, not only don't we feel like an entity that's not that's a secondary, we don't even feel like a, an entity that's 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 dependent. We feel we are totally independent. That's how effective God's concealment is. We don't sense God. We sense ourselves.
3: But what is the point of this whole thing?
1: That is the whole point. That's what God desired. Because that's what God wanted, freedom of choice. He wanted us to, re- to realize, to polish, polish the lens, clean the fog, for us to open our eyes, open our minds, study, think, meditate, reflect. That's what education is. You open your eyes and you start realizing. You're able to peek through the veil. You start realizing the truth. That not only aren't we independent beings, not only is God the cause and the, and the author of the world and the cause of the world, but that the truth is, God is the whole, is the energy, the life. Not only is God the, God is the life and the energy of the world, and not only is God the life and the energy of the world, like the soul is the energy of the body, God is the body. There's nothing else. God is the soul and God is the body. There's nothing else but God. So it's not like you have a body and you have a soul. In this case, it's like God is the soul and God is the body. There's nothing but God. Well, what else is there? So all there is is God. It's not even a secondary. The body is a body and there's a soul. So the soul is one entity. The body is another entity. But the body is is totally nullified, inseparable from the soul. Like the light of the sun within the sun. Totally egoless. Like the world of emanation. Totally one with the soul. But in this case, it's like God is the soul and God is the body. So there's, there's nothing but God. From God's point of view, all there is is God. But the effect is for us, that to us there is a division. There's a division between this is a soul and there's a body. There's light and there's a vessel. There's matter and there's energy. There's east and there's west. There's spiritual and, and, and there's physical. So from our limited perspective, we, we, our reality is that there's a whole universe that's split and disconnected and there's two entities. There's a body and there's a soul. That whole division, that whole perspective is, is, is a creation of God. But from God's point of view, is the real, all there is is God. God is the revelation. God is the concealment. God is the soul. God is the body. There is nothing else. Really, everything is God. Because what is everything? Everything is just an expression of God's ability to create something from nothing. So what is it really? Just that ability. That's all there is. There is nothing else. And then God's ability to hide and conceal. But we don't see the whole picture. We can see the whole picture. We have a limited perspective. A very defined and very limited perspective where we split everything we split the body from the soul and we split the physical from the spiritual. And, and we can't transcend that. Otherwise we would cease to be human. We but can't. the even the the
3: is explaining that to us?
1: Yes, yeah, so we can understand it intellectually.
3: Oh, but we'll never comprehend it.
1: It's humanly impossible. However, however, we could understand it to the best of our ability. Dr. Rebbe is explaining it in a way that makes sense.
3: We can't experience it. That's what I'm to say.
1: So to the best of our ability, and ultimately, we have a divine soul. That's what the Jewish soul is all about. The Jewish soul is divine. The Jewish soul is holy. It's inherited. It's not man-made. You can't, Created. It's not religion. It's not mysticism that you can accomplish, you can create, you can meditate. You can meditate for a thousand years and you'll never get it. God gave us a piece of his essence. And therefore we're able to, we have the sixth sense, that faith, the Jewish faith, that we're able to sense that reality, that total absolute unity of God. Even the angels can't comprehend. Let alone... Buddha, Mother Teresa, the most spiritual human being you can imagine—it's impossible. The angels have
3: no Torah, which, which is an explanation, which is a manual,
1: which is an explanation of. But, but because the, the the essence of God was given in the Torah, was given to the Jewish people. God revealed His essence to us at Mount Sinai. That's what revelation is all about. You're right. There was no revelation in, in heaven. The Torah was not given to the angels. The Torah was given to us human beings, because God revealed His essence to us, invested His essence in the Torah. Every time a Jew studies Torah, every time a Jew does a mitzvah, he's revealing and connecting with the very essence of God, with His absolute unity of God. And that's why we say every morning in prayer, "Asherenu Matayv Cholkeno," how fortunate our lot, because it's it's like an inheritance. It's like a child, a baby who inherits a billion dollars. Bill Gates' uh, child (laughs) was born into wealth. He inherited $40 billion. He didn't have to lift a pinky. He didn't do anything. Well, every Jew inherits this fortune. Something that transcends religion, transcends the angelic, the heavens of heavens. And just by being born Jewish, you inherit this holy soul. You inherit this faith. Which, which knows the unity of God, this essence of God. It's like, for that we, are, we, we, are, we thank Hashem every morning. Just for the fact that we, the moment you're born, you have it. You're as Jewish as you will be, the moment you're born, you'll never become one iota more Jewish. Or the moment you convert, which is like a birth, a genuine conversion. That moment's like a birth, a transformation. And we thank Hashem every morning for giving us that Jewish soul. They're giving us th- this, this holy spark. And the world knows it. The world knows that a Jew is holy. We forget sometimes. <laughs> and if we forget, the world reminds us. <laughs> you know, Israel has become the Jew of the world today. It's the funny way of the world reminding the Jew that you're different, that we're never going to treat you normal, and just get it out of your head because we won't. And stop trying to pander to us, and tra- stop trying to assimilate and to, and to please us and to twist into a pretzel, to go out of your way, to deny, it's not going to work. On the contrary, it's a reminder, be who you are. You, you, because that, that's, that, that's what a it Jew is. It's this essence. It's this inner perspective that there is no other reality but God. The absolute, total unity of God. To be continued.
0: Lessons in Tanya taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. For more Tanya study, please visit our website at www.lessonsintanya.com.